Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 Apiece Tree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. And uh, Atlanta is a really a starting point. I'm here with uh, Glenn Willis after the Hawks pulled out two wins over the weekend. And uh, Glenn, since we like to fix problems here, how do we fix the Knicks? Uh, more creation. More, off- more offensively skilled uh, players. Uh, I really do sure. think that's an issue, right? Because, like, you know, Reggie Bullock is a, you know, good defender, a really good shooter. But I think one of the things that they're taking advantage of is the fact that he's really not good with the ball in his hands. You know, if, if you close out hard on his shot and then all of a sudden he has to move with the ball, that's pretty much been a win every time for the Hawks. Yeah, I think the same was true to a lesser degree, but still true of Alec Burks. Um, basically, they can load up on Rose and Randall. And then if the ball rotates to the weak side, as long as you could chase – those guys are both really good shooters, but if you can just chase them, to your point, like if you can just chase them off the three-point line and make them put the ball on the floor, they're pretty limited on what they could do. Ber- Burks is pretty good at creating his own kind of he's, mid, he's mid-range step. Yeah. yeah, he has that mid-range step back, but but neither of them are high-level passers. They're not going to, you know, kind of create anything except the, their own shot. Um, and so the Hawks have – uh, smartly thrown everything at the point of attack with Rose and Randall and just it just coached up the players and the players have embraced the need to work really hard and close out on those shooters and um you know when you don't have a secondary creator like like a Bogdanovich or whoever you know just you know staying in the series it's it's makes it easier for the defense to put extra bodies in the paint and to show bodies to the you know um, dribbler, point of attack, and all that. And and so, you know, for, in terms of where the Knicks go from here, um, you know, it's not really intense style to kind of diversify what his team do, does on offense, but I think as a feedback loop to them organizationally, the idea is they need a lot more uh, in, that, in that area, I think. Yeah. And Clint Capella had a, a terrific game defensively, but part of that is just that he gets to ad lib quite a bit. He can kind of have just to worry about his guys. Yeah, that? that's it. He doesn't have to worry about his guy, and that's the other yeah. thing. People were some people were seemed surprised that Tibbs closed with, closed with Obi Toppin, um, but that, that was just the, the same thing we see uh, pretty much all coaches do. When your team is in the fourth quarter, your team is down 10, 12, 15, whatever it is, right. you you take a non-shooting big off and you put a shooting big on. And Toppin's the closest thing they have to that. Pretty good shooter this year, you know. Yeah. Um, certainly an upgrade over Noel or Taj, you know, and you kind of live with, with um, rolling the dice on defense, you know. Um, you know, earlier this year when the Hawks were playing from behind more, you'd see Capella come off and Gallo go on. Basically, the kind of the, the same blueprint there to put Obi uh, out there. But, you know, again, not in Tibbs' normal plans, but if they could add, at least have the option of having one shooting big um, to kind of go on the court when they're trying to play from behind late, that that would be something that would be pretty additive to, to the roster as well. So, um, you know, I, I think the Knicks have, this series is not over over for sure. I mean, the Hawks should win it from here. Um, I think the Hawks have broken the Knicks and, you know, the Knicks just don't have anywhere else to turn offensively, um, except, except for just a really, you know, if they put together two or three really, um, outlier shooting performances, they can maybe keep pace with the Hawks that way. That's it's not like that's impossible for it to happen, you know. 
but for next year, more wing creation and, you know, the, an option that, you know, having a big that can shoot would, I think, you know, give them more to work with than they have right now. Uh, what did you think about the Hawks uh, switching things up in terms of, you know, they had some success in game three with keeping one of Trey or Bogdan on the court at all times. They kind of went away from that here in game four. Uh, they were successful overall in the game. Uh, I guess there was probably one stretch in the first quarter where neither was on. Uh, I think Capello was off too. And they gave, they gave back some, some, uh, some territory to the Knicks, I think, in that stretch. But was, was there something in particular that you picked up on in terms of who they were trying to keep on the floor, or was it just a matter of, of, of resting guys? Like, were they trying to keep uh, – I shouldn't even say that because I don't think Capello was on, but was there any other pattern that you could pick up on there? I didn't, I didn't get anything out of Not, that other than just they went to a full bench unit almost. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a massive development from game two to game three was, you know, how that hurt them in game two. And then in you and I talked about that after the game. And in game three, that wasn't a thing he went to. I talked about it with Brad, too. Um, in this game, I, I couldn't really detect, you know, what was the reason that they went back to that, even though I don't think it was even quite three minutes. This was a much shorter yeah. kind of stretch there. Um, but, he, but you know, earlier in the se- series, when he played that group longer, was mostly when they were playing well, you know, and or when the the first unit wasn't playing well. That's specific to game two. So, you know, maybe – Maybe he just thought the first unit was playing so well that he wanted to try to keep them together. And so hope throw the second unit out there for a brief period of time and hope they try water. That's probably the best that you can kind of hope for there. But I, I haven't gotten around to listen to the postgame yet, so I don't know if it was mentioned to Nate and if Nate, you know, provided any sort of answer for that. But I, I couldn't see anything apart from me guessing at he wanted to keep the first unit together because of how well they were playing early. Do you think that this is this is one of the questions I've, I've kind of tinkered with a little bit, and it's weird to make any stirring conclusions after four games, but playoff games are different than regular season games, and I think you know actually playing against the Knicks might be a more playoffy test than against some other teams because you you know you're seeing uh, lots of uh, antics for a better word. Uh, antics is, is too joking of a word. It's it's a little grimier than that. But you know, there's certainly lots of back and forth here, and it's, it's definitely a physical, chippy game. But seeing Kevin Herter in this context, and I'm not talking about like the flavor fouls he's picked out. I'm just talking about Kevin Herter playing basketball in one of the more physical settings. Do you think that he's in any way sort of changed his long-term stock with the Hawks? I would hope so. I mean, he's just one of the players that's most visibly stepped up and kind of embraced this this matchup and the type of competition that's coming about in this first-round series. Um, and, you know, if, especially if they see him as primarily a bench piece, which, you know, Bogdanovich is on a four-year deal and 
Hey, Herder started with him and Trey, if you, you know, some, but you have to assume that with Hunter, you know, being healthy, that's, that's going to be the thing. You, you want guys on the second unit that can kind of come in and restore control. You know, sometimes it's, that's just calming things down. Other times I think it's coming in and being a little bit more physical, especially in the playoffs or, or whatever that is, and be able to kind of watch the game for seven minutes or whatever it is before they take the floor, see what it is, and immediately come out and be ready to kind of um, face, you know, what it is that the team's throwing at you. I see him a little differently, you know, as a result of not allowing himself to get pushed around, you know, being willing to give a hard foul when it seemingly – Maybe I maybe I have a little bias in my view. I, I I tend to leave my fandom aside when I'm kind of watching something analytically. But um, you know his team getting pushed around a lot and you know shoved away from the ball and all that sort of stuff. And to see him kind of just you know visibly send a message to the team that I'm not going to put up with that or I'm going to fight back or whatever that is. I I think so. And it's always interesting to watch a guy who's about his age too transition towards you know. Um, kind of just playing stronger, you know, and that's the thing that looks different in the series to me is he's just playing a lot stronger than he, I think he's probably played before. Yeah. And I just don't think, you know, we talk about him playing stronger and I think for a lot of the time, at least for me, you know, a significant amount of that has been playing stronger on offense, but he, doesn't really need to maybe like he's not going to draw a lot of free throws we know that I think he had one layup today where he kind of got smothered but really I think he drew the whole team in and the Hawks ended up getting something good anyways but he's just so good on offense in terms of being big being able to shoot being able to set up teammates by making plays off the dribble he's you know with to, to, to the point we were making before you know earlier in this game I was like you know the Knicks could really use somebody like Kevin Herter, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? right? You know, uh, and it's like that—that—that's a useful player to have. And so it's—it just feels like I don't really worry about him being physical in offense because he just does enough other things really, really well. And then it's just a matter of can he be physical on defense? And honestly, that's a development that I think we've seen more over the course of the entire season. That's certainly not a you know just in four games thing, but. You know, seeing it in the four games as a continuation of what he did in the regular season is is kind of pleasing. It just feels like, you know, when you, when when I think about Kevin Herter and the Hawks, you know, and, and you know what might be in the long term plans, uh, it just feels a lot different this off season than last off season. It does, and I mean, also just his shot making in games three and four have been it's been timely and. He has not been shy at all. He's even taken shots, you know, what, five feet behind the three-point line, you know, when when that's kind of been the thing that, that was needed. Um, no, I mean, now you got, he's extension eligible, you know, after the season ends. Um, and it's going to be fascinating to kind of see how, how that plays out. You know, a guy drafted in the range where he was, um, you know, don't – they're not – and, of course, he's not a, like a bona fide starter, you know, guy, you know, all of that, you know. You look at – I think of, like, the Josh Richardson contract, the Fred Van Vliet contract. You know, Van Vliet was undrafted or Josh Richardson was second round. But even the Torian Prince, you know, kind of contract. Torian was – I think they were both drafted night. Well, I can't remember now. 
uh, maybe Torrey went a little higher, um, but I'm thinking of where Bimbry went. But um, but then that range of like ten to eleven million a year, you know, seems about right. And um, you know, I'd have I'd have to pull up Atlanta's books and see exactly how that fits in. Um, extension, I guess, it wouldn't even hit them until next year because it's an extension. You know, um, they'd get him one more year on the cheap deal. But uh, he he just fits. I mean, with Trey and Bogdanovich, just kind of the third guard um, guy who can place the point if whoever the point is isn't a fit for a game, a situation, or series. Um, and to our, to our discussion here, who's shown enough strength that can, he can play with two other guards. Doesn't He doesn't have to be the two playing next to a bigger, stronger three, you know, all the time, you know, based upon what we've seen here. And I, I think that versatility and that positional flexibility is exactly what you want on your third guard. You, and from your third guard, if you have a guy who can play the one, two, or the three for stretches, that's pretty valuable in my view. That's interesting. So, I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you realistically expect from the rest of this series? Uh, is it, it, we've got, you know, two days off, so it's kind of a long stretch because it's a Sunday day game, Wednesday night game. Uh, it is, it, what, how likely is it that the Knicks can get back into this series? And, and you, you hit on a little bit before, but is, is it something like, I don't know. I just have a hard time envisioning the what the sequence is, unless it's something like a Derrick Rose miracle or something. Where you know, I mean, he's you know, he's had miracle games. Like he had fifty points in a game, like a you know, a couple of years ago. He seemed, you know, he he could have some unbelievable stretch, but I just I'm having a hard time picturing it in a lot of ways. What what it would take? What do you think it takes? I mean, a big part is probably Randall having a big game, you know, which just from the optics of it seems unlikely, but it's not like the guy sucks at basketball. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, he, no, he it's not so... like he sucks at basketball, but I just, I think some of the factors, it's like the fact that Capella is going to be able to play, you know, if, if, you know, God willing, everybody stays healthy, you know, if, if Nerlens Noel or Taj Gibson are out there, this it's not like there's a different center. I guess you could put Toppin out there. We mentioned that, but like, if you're playing Noel 20 minutes a game and you're playing Taj Gibson 28 minutes a game, there's just going to be an awful lot of minutes for Clint Capella to hang around the rim. So Randall can do it, but it's going to have to be a very one-dimensional version of Randall to do true. that. Yeah, I think I think that's true. But, you know, like – but the shots he made in the regular season series when the Knicks took all three games, a lot of step-backs. You know, not, not a super yeah. creative shots. And there were a lot of contested shots – um, so, you know, in my mind, I'm like, it probably looks something like, oh, what the, they saw Hawks off and Randall three games in the regular season is the start. But then we talked about the shot making, uh, as well, but I, I honestly think the Hawks would almost have to beat themselves to lose another game. I, I uh, shared today on Twitter that today, the only portion really that was competitive in my view was when the Hawks were beating themselves, you know, bad trip. They were really amped up when the game started. It seemed like turnovers, low percentage passes, it you know, trying like to do. Game. <laughs> yeah. And it, but it felt like a team that knew they had a knockout punch maybe in them today and tried to score like 80 points in the first five minutes, you know, um, and was trying to just do it all at one time, you know, which, which happens, you know, young teams, all that sort of stuff. But what, when the Hawks were settled, the Knicks, I mean, the Knicks 
could do nothing with them on really on either end of the court. And so, you know, what do I expect? And in, in, I mean, I think being in New York plays a factor. Will Knicks fans be even more um, uh, kind of loud and intense than they were? Or are the Knicks kind of Knicks fans going to be like, ah, yeah, it's not happening. I mean, I don't know really what to expect. It's, you know, the Knicks fans are so long suffering seems like if any, you know, fan bases can relate to one another and a, just a general Atlanta sports fan base should be able to kind of <laughs> empathize with that, I think. Uh, not, that not that there's going to necessarily be any sympathies at the moment, right, in the, you know, in the presence. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know what, what to expect in terms of intensity. I, it, I mean, in a vacuum, you think, well, the Knicks are just going to be more physical and try to be, you know, kind of muck the game up even that much it's hard to imagine what does it look like for them to even ratchet that up some you know um but hey it's like the mindset of kind of going out in a blaze of glory right just you know you know don't take any ammo with you you use it all up that sort of thing um so it's probably if the knicks put together a game five it's probably an outlier shooting performance on their part it's them being finding a way to make their physicality have more of an impact if not if it's not feasible really to ramp up the physicality, and then the Hawks to a degree being themselves. That's the only kind of formula that I see. Do you see something else that I don't see? No, I mean, I the only other, is there a way for them to get RJ Barrett more involved? Because it just seems like the, the Hawks have, have keyed up on, you know, Randall at the rim and, you know, Derek Rose at the point of attack and they've been kind of allowed to really sort of gear up against those two things is there some counter you know where you you could see them using Barrett just because they know that that's sort of something that's uh, not the top priority but something that might also be a feasible strategy to success for them how, how do they how do they leverage that yeah well um, for me it's based on what I saw today they would have to be playing through RJ when Clint is off I mean he wants no part of Clint at this point. And that, that's not me like talking garbage, whatever. There was, there was a point today where he came around the corner and had his guy on his hip and had a clear path basically to the rim. And the, the Clint kind of stepped over and RJ just totally gave up on the dribble penetration, just stopped dribbling, turned around, passed it out. And I was like, that's pretty telling. I mean, he's in his second year and he's really young. There's, there's no reason to give, like give him grief or, for, you know, someone to talk, in my mind, to talk kind of trash about that. He's, you know, this is a great experience for him. He'll grow a ton from it and all that sort of stuff. But right now, it just looks like he wants absolutely no part of um, the paint when, when Capella's in there. And, you know, that's a credit to, you know, Capella and what he's done. But the, but it's not just like Capella being awesome, like we've talked about and like you mentioned earlier. Capella really doesn't have to worry about this guy. Yeah, you know? I mean that's probably honestly the best strategy. Like, wh- wh- how do you how do you win this game for the Knicks in Game Five? It's like attack Capella in the first five minutes and just pray to God that you can get some fouls on him because that that, that could do it. It for sure could do it. I mean, you know what was what does Nate do if that happens? You know, does he yeah. ride Gallo and Collins There's for a no really long time, or yeah. you know, what does he? You know, how much does he? You know, would he roll with a Kongu? In that scenario, that's pretty tough to, you know, to me, visualize Congo playing like 20 minutes or something like that. Seems crazy at this point. So, yeah, I mean. That they not have those Peyton minutes, you know, that they were using in the first two games. Like, it gets that much harder to get those two fouls on Capella with Peyton starting the game. If you start with Rose, you have a much better chance of doing that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And like, even in game two, when they were able to get JC out, like at what, two minutes, maybe three minutes. Gallo has been one of the better defensive players they've had in this series in a, in a weird way. So, you know, the Hawks just have, yeah. He had a rotation have, today. He rotated like before, like the pass was being made. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it's like, he knew what was going to happen. Like the passer like had this brain, you know, this little stem of an idea of, Hey, I'm going to make a pass. Gallo had already rotated. And it's like, Oh, okay. He knows what's going to happen. Yeah, and that's great. Obviously, we didn't see that all season from Gallo, but it also speaks to he wasn't really worried about the Knicks rotating the ball on the weak side and something bad happening. You know, he's like, okay, this is – the Knicks are pretty one-dimensional offensively now. They make the basic play, the basic read, and uh, keep it simple, you know, and all that sort of stuff. There's no real slick, you know, as Deke would say, side-to-side, you know, kind of ball movement stuff happening. So, um, I mean – I was, you know, having a conversation earlier with someone about Utah-Memphis, and I said, oh, that series is done. I mean, Utah has completely broken Memphis's pick-and-roll defense, you know. And to me, there's a parallel to this series of the Hawks know exactly what the Knicks are doing offensively, and they, they know exactly what's happening. They don't, they don't need to guess. They don't need to, like, oh, you know, if I come all the way over here, they're going to swing. They, they look like they are seeing every little thing that's happening – and again, you know, the Knicks exceeded expectations by so far this year. You know, I, I admit when I did my Eastern Conference standings, I think I had them, I had them 14th or 15th, you know, in my own predictions. I missed, but I, I jokingly say that they switched bodies with Toronto <laughs> this, this season, <laughs> but I didn't see this coming. So, you know, while they, they're struggling and while the fan bases are kind of each other, I mean, they deserve so much credit for what, you know, how good of a year they've had. And to me, I was thinking today when I was watching the game that watching the Knicks right now is what I think it would have looked like if the Hawks had somehow made the playoffs last year before they really built uh, a versatile roster with complementary players. And, you know, I mean, I don't know that this Knicks team's ever really intended to host a first-round playoff series this year. I don't know that they had the playoffs in mind when they built this roster. I think they, you know, were, were you know, hey, let's see what we can do with Randall. Let's see what Randall can do when we kind of, you know, build around him. And it was sort of a, a run through the lab, in a way, I would guess, in some sense. Um, and so it's it's not really, I don't think, a terrible reflection on their front office. But I, I think they exceed expectations and then got into a situation where they're in a, they're in a, an environment they're not built for because Tibbs and that team just were so freaking good this year um, that, you know, this was even like with the Hawks when, you know, when you heard all of the people, all the voices talking about how much they spent, how they used all their cap space this past off season and how, you know, it's crazy that they're this committed, you know, and some people were critical of the fact that they didn't make themselves, leave themselves more flexibility to kind of continue evolving this thing, you know, over the next year or two, there's still ways to do that on the margins for sure. And they, you know, they have some options for sure. But I mean, like if the Hawks had snuck into the eight seed, like last year, let's say, let's say JC doesn't get suspended, for example, and they get there, they would have been exposed for being so limited on what they could do on both ends of the court. And that's what the Knicks look like now. So sometimes you get a little ahead of schedule and you land yourself in a situation that you're not really built for. And I think that's what the Knicks are going through right now. It's not anything for them to be ashamed of, I don't think. Yeah. 
it's just also, I don't want to make this a Knicks podcast, but the experience that RJ Barrett's getting is great. It just feels like they're relying on so many short-term pieces too. It doesn't feel like a, right. it doesn't feel like a, Hey, we got here a year early, you know, let's have these guys learn from the experience. It's like Taj Gibson and Derek Gross are playing great. You're being coached <laughs> by Tibbs. It's like, right. I don't know. It just feels like a, you know, it, it, it's good that, uh, let me just say, it's good that RJ Barrett is getting this experience and, and ended there. I already tweeted something nasty earlier today. Uh, I'm upset, so I'll shut up. Yeah, watching watching Tibbs and Rose and Todd, just, it's like, have you ever had a deja vu that you had a deja vu? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it, that's, they they know what to expect from each other, and it works, so. So, good for them. Um, you know, the, the big picture here, though, is, we, you know, we've – this is probably where we ended the last podcast, but we have more evidence on the table now. Uh, and I know we've, I've made you talk a about the Knicks a lot. We're seeing Trey in the playoff series. What, what do you see? I mean, is I know New York isn't the most talented team, but they're really good on defense, or at least they were over the course of the regular season. What are you seeing from him offensively, defensively, uh, in the high-stakes environment here? Uh, yeah, I mean, New York, in my view, has been good in this series on defense. You know, Say that again? New York has been good in this series yeah. on defense. They haven't quite been what they were in the regular season, but they've been good. They've thrown – a lot at Trey, you know, Tibbs being famous for how stubborn he is and how he kind of sticks to some basic stuff. They've been, they've opened up, you know, the book on defense and thrown different coverages and different you know, schemes and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, Trey has just rolled with it every single time. And, you know, that's the thing that really has opened my eyes and surprised me in this series is I was sure there's going to be an adjustment period, a game and a half, whatever it might be of him, trying too hard, trying to do too much. And for him to go from, you know, scoring 32 in, in game one, 30 in game two, and then, you know, only, quote, 21 in game three, but 14 assists, two turns. I mean, that's, you know, I don't know how many regular season games we saw, you know, across, say, the last two years where Trey had 14 assists and just two turnovers. But to do that against one of the best defensive teams in the league that are throwing a ton at him, it's, you know, I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but the great players elevate their game at this time of year. And, yeah, it's not a big sample size. I don't want to get, you know, too ahead of myself. I don't want to make too much of it. But I think it's fair to say, for me, to say, I think that's what we're seeing. He's elevated himself. He's under control. He's reading everything. He's not – playing too fast apart from the first maybe four minutes today when the whole team was doing that. Um, but I mean, this is not a one or two seed playing a seven or eight seed that won in an 82 game season, like 35 game, you know, this is, you know, th- these two teams were neck and neck all year long. And if the Hawks play decently head to head against the Knicks, they're the four seed probably, you know, and he's just controlled every game, you know, uh, even the one that they lost, he basically, you know, controlled that game and they just missed shots in game three. 
and weren't strong enough at the point of attack. Really kind of two faces where he, he couldn't personally do anything about that so much as other guys who were who are on, on the team for that reason to do those things, you know. And it's just – it's been stunning to, to, to see that. Um, I dread the conversation, but I say this only because I know it's going to happen. Like, what happens if the Hawks – do in fact advance and, the, and Dallas doesn't. I mean, that, that conversation is just going to get more toxic and, and less fun. <laughs> no, that's where you were going. <laughs> and I mean, and, just, and Aiden, too. you got to put Aiden in this. Aiden's having a heck of a series. Yeah, yeah, he is. But, I, but you know, it's because of the trade. You know, there's that, you know, <laughs> thing that will always connect us to. I mean, I, I, th- I think everyone who knows me at all knows that I enjoy Luca and I think he's phenomenal and I have said all along, and in fact, I've said on your podcast before, both teams did absolutely fine in the trade. Both fan bases should be happy with the outcome. And why can't the world be more like that? I don't know. I'll never understand. I'm super an optimistic and ple- you know, pleasant and happy person 95% of the time. So that's just how I see the world. Um, but, I, you know, I, you have to say, like, Trey's hitting all the marks, you know, in this first go-round in the playoffs – and you know how would you put anyone really over him? I mean that that's that, that's the thing is it's kind of crazy. Like who's playing better than him right now? Like if we just take for the first four games or so of, of all, you know, you know, all, each of the eight series, who's playing obviously better than him? That's a hard one to answer, I think. Yeah, I mean he's it's yeah. <laughs> It was it was kind of silly that he wasn't an all star. Like, yeah. not I mean, it, comple- it wasn't time, completely was, preposterous, but no, it was kind of silly. No, it, it took it took Levine putting up totally bonkers numbers in Chicago for that part of the season. Um, Vooch, you know, positionally, you know, he just kind of stood out. You know. Uh, you know, there aren't a lot of weren't a lot of guys kind of scoring a lot of the position in the East and you know that sort of stuff. So, yeah, you know, I I, I, I kind of get it. I think you know Sabonis is the one that looks really weird right now, but Sabonis is pretty darn good. <laughs> you know what he does. It's just the Pacers had a rough season. It's just but... different though. It's it's just different. He, yeah, but but when you yeah, but he doesn't when... elevate as a focal point in the same way. True. When you pull back now, especially now, and look at that pecking order, it's totally crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm just trying to remind myself that at the time I understood kind of the conversations, what the Hawks record was. And I think Trey was still being viewed as a guy who put up big numbers on a bad team, you know, because of where their record was, which I think anyone who's really followed him closely know that's, that's not true. They Basically all three of his years in the league, when he's been on the court, they've been a solid team. If you go by, you know, net rating, point differential, uh, you know, whatever kind of you want to look at, they've been a, a good, solid team every time he's been on the court, you know, from a statistical standpoint. So, um, but narratives, you know, national narratives play into that. And I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not running out to buy the t-shirt or the sweatshirt that Trey Ward, you know, heading into the game <laughs> today or anything like that. But, uh, you know, it's, um, it wasn't that long ago. And it's, it is kind of crazy to think about right now. Yeah, and he's, you know, he has. It, it's it's hard to think of somebody maybe in the sixteen team field that uh, would be a better 
spot for him defensively. Like, what he has to do in defense in this series is just, uh, you know, it's not a huge stretch. Like, he can do it. Um, but he is doing it, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know, you know, you go back a, a year, you go back a year and a half, two years, uh, there were things that he didn't do on defense, and he got absolutely torched for it. Um, at some point, you know, he needs some some credit for doing it because uh, he's he's the least important cog in a in a very good machine, but he's being that cog and and holding up what he needs to hold up. Yeah, I mean, even like the three shot foul on Randall, which. I mean, it's easy to say five seconds later it was a terrible decision, but he was trying to close out on the shooter. He was yeah, he just missed. I mean, he was probably six inches from where he wanted to be and just, you know, got right. a little bit of his head. But he was he was trying to angle close out the right way and put in the requisite effort to to get out there and try to do it. He was absolutely working hard, playing hard, trying to do the right thing. But like to, to your point, like the Knicks just really aren't engineered to attack a specific player. You know, we talked about you and I talked before about they don't have a lot of pick and roll, but even like today, you know, they played for a while Bullock and Burks together, which was a kind of a gift to the Hawks. I mean, I, the Knicks don't have like 11 players they can play, you know, but like, you know, the one thing the Knicks have been successful in is putting Trey in the weak side corner, just taking the guy he's on and put him in the weak side corner and make Trey the, the helper at the rim or the quote low man. Yep. And when it was smart, like immediately once they had Burks and um, Bullock on the court together, Trey just took the one that wasn't in the corner. <laughs> and the other guard went over there to the corner to keep him out of that. So the Hawks like were on it. I mean, immediately on like, oh, there's two guys, the two guys we try to put Trey on are out here, so let's put Trey on the one that's not in the weak side corner, and the Knicks struggled to kind of do anything with it. So, I mean, you know, credit to them. The, the coaching staff has them prepared, for yeah. sure. The, the defense is on point. It's, I mean, I mean, how many, like, just ugly defensive moments have we seen in this series? There just there aren't that many that come to mind. Uh, and after the, this whole season where the defense was up and down and there were some really rough defensive games and, you know, of course we know they were tired, the schedule was crazy, all that sort of stuff. But it's it's just a stark contrast to think about how clean they've been on defense. And, again, New York doesn't throw a lot at you from their offensive standpoint, but it's still been a pleasant surprise to see just how clean they've been on defense. And Trey's part of that. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to get to before we finish or – the last thing is just that, I mean, today, for them to play that well, offensively especially, and they got basically nothing from Hunter in the first and second quarter, um, and that just says a lot. You know, I, I've i been rooting for Atlanta sports teams my whole life, and it seems like every time that they're – whatever team is on a good path, they need every – ounce of everything every player can give them <laughs> for it to kind of work out and be on a good path for them to you know for example in game one you know Gallo was like one for five from three and he gave them so much on defense in this game Hunter was really good defensively again on he was on Rose and if you look at the way Rose shot over the game Rose wore down in this game you know and I think Hunter deserves some credit for that but yeah. He, he gave them nothing offensively and they still in the first two quarters and they still ended up having a, just a massive offensive game. They would have, they would have scored 125 if not for garbage time, you know, probably, probably. So um, that's, that's something. Yeah. Dollar makes a big difference. 
when when he's on, they're 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 a different team. Yeah, it's funny. Collins is, I think, a bona fide forty percent shooter on volume now at this point in his career. And when he goes off and Gallo comes on, they get a better shooter at the four. That is just so unusual. Right. Well, he, you know, it's a more diverse profile too. Like, you know, John's getting a lot of his in the corner. He gets a lot of sort of consistent the same shot. Gallo, Gallo can do a lot of different things. You get a lot of you can get that shot, you know, with a lot more volume and in a lot of different ways. So, yeah, it is funny to think it's just so easy. Them. Like the pick and pops. I mean, like it's just. You know the pick and pops with him and Trey are just unfair. It's like you really, you really can't guard him in that action the way that you would want. To. Right. Yeah, and it, and it's interesting to to think. I know we don't want to fast forward too much, but if the Hawks do in fact close out this series and get the Sixers, the Sixers do so many of the same things defensively. It's it's um it's going to be interesting to see if that helps. If that would in that scenario, that hypothetical that would set up the Hawks to be a little more comfortable with their getting you know, early in that series. It's we'll have time for that. We should have time for that later on if the Hawks do in fact close out, but that it's interesting to think that, I mean, Doc and Tibbs have basically the same defensive philosophy, right. you know, and that that's, that's interesting to think about what that might look like, but there's time for, they'll, they'll hopefully knock on wood and all that stuff. Yeah, I was going to say you better find some wood. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I know I was on someone else's podcast earlier today and wanted to do a preview of Hawks Sixers. And I was like, oh my God, the Hawks fans are going to be so irate with me if we just talk yeah, about we do Hawks like Wizards this. too, just in case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should hit them all. Um, but I mean, luckily we just spent a few minutes on it and it was fine and all that sort of stuff. It's just as an Atlanta sports fan, you're like, I don't want to talk about like anything's done until, you know, it's certified. <laughs> Um, but if you ask my the analytical me, the Hawks have broken the Knicks, just like I say Utah has broken Memphis, et cetera, and I just don't see the path back apart from some crazy, uh, you know, God forbid, like Trey get hurt or the Knicks shoot 60% the rest of the series from three or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I just don't see it. But the emotional baggage from being a lifelong sports fans makes you want to be like, hey, are you sure? Oh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> stuff happens. Somebody steps and sprains an ankle. Right. But yeah, in in, in going through it, yeah, I, I do think that just sort of the, the easiest path to something changing in game five is, is you know, getting Capella and foul trouble. I just... I think that's fair. It, it's just yeah, so I, and, hard to see this Knicks offense working the way Capella's being allowed to play. Yeah. Yeah, and I just... um, I try to answer these questions from my standpoint of analysis, not my fandom and all the kind of baggage that comes with that. Right. In my analysis, I don't see the path of the Knicks except for some extreme outlier situation, um, but it's not done yet. So. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you, Glenn. We'll have yeah. to do it again soon uh, at the end of game five or game six or whenever, but uh, thank you for taking the time to do it, sir. Thank you for having me on again. Appreciate it.